Welcome to the Art of Appointment Setting Podcast, where we ask today's most successful experts and entrepreneurs to share the most powerful lead generation and appointment setting tactics they use to build their business and grow their revenues. Now your host from the city that never sleeps, New York, is Kwesi Sachi Jinnai. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining the conversation today. This is Kwesi Sachi Jinnai. And my guest today is Dr. Oren Davis. Oren is a self-actualization engineer who enables people to do and be their best. Uh, he's also the principal of the Quality of Life organization where he helps businesses to uh, make workplaces great places to work. And, and of course, as a result, drive productivity and sales. Um, he's a TEDx speaker and an advisor to a lot of different early stage startups uh, and companies as well, including Happyfy and Happy Brain Science. Um, he helps a lot of businesses to you know, craft their value propositions, pitches, culture, human capital, and, and so on. He's also an adjunct professor of business and psychology and um, and entrepreneurship and creativity as well. Sorry. Before we start our conversation, I want to take a moment to acknowledge one of our partners for today's episode, AGM. AGM is a B2B agency that helps you scale your business using LinkedIn. They have LinkedIn training, LinkedIn lead generation, LinkedIn recruiting, LinkedIn advertising services, and so much more. The company has been featured on the BBC Entrepreneur Magazine, Huffington Post, and so many others. Right now, AGM is offering all of our listeners a free LinkedIn audit. Just go to abrahamglobal.com. That is abrahamglobal.com to reserve your session right now. All right. Thanks so much for joining the conversation. I'm really excited to have you on. Great to be here. Yeah. So I know since we last connected, you know, we've had a couple of great conversations about culture. Um, I watched your TED talk and totally loved your new one's perspective on self-help. And um, I wanted to delve a, a little bit deeper into you know the connections between culture and, and sales in any business, um, especially in this conversation. Uh, but before we do that, I have to admit that you know I have a, a lot of conversations with business owners, and of all the variables that they have to deal with each and every day. Culture is not at the top of the list when it comes to driving sales, right? So I want you to speak to this a little bit and, and lay the foundation for for this conversation. How important is culture to increasing sales? So when you're running a company, the culture is sort of what gives you the foundation for how for what you use to represent the company. When your salespeople go out, they are not just representing your product, they're representing your company. And the way that your company culture works is going to be one of the foundations for how they act when they get out there and sell, for what kinds of values they espouse, what kinds of values that your salespeople can connect to your product. So the culture is really a key piece of your company. It's a key piece of your product. It's the thing that's always there, but may not be so easy to put a finger on. And that's true about culture in a lot of places. Like wherever you go, you know that there's a different culture to every place. There's a different set of values espoused. In, in many cases, we know it implicitly, but it's, it's harder to put an exact finger on what's going on. And yet we know it, we experience it, we feel it. And it really is something that with just a little bit of investigation or analysis, we really can define and make clear. But once we do that, it also helps us to clarify not only what our values are, but our value proposition and what we're actually selling to people or what a place is actually like or what a company is like, or most importantly for your salespeople, 
what your product is really like. And along those lines, it's directly connected to your brand. And as many salespeople know, people buy for brand as much as they buy for actual product. Mm. I love it because you bring up a really good point about the culture being a part of, you know, the product, what you do and the brand and so on. And there have been a lot of teams that, you know, I know they try to pursue culture with a lot of great intentionality and often they get the exact opposite of, of the way the culture, you know, they, they had in mind. So, for example, I, I, I worked with a startup in Oslo. I was helping them with sales. It does happen with some frequency. And uh, one of the big reasons why is that they don't think about how they incentivize people's actions. And they don't mm-hmm. think about how they reward people. For instance, you know, probably, you know, a famous story or I should say notorious story many times over are, you know, the sales teams where, you know, the boss says, you know, I want everybody to work together as a team and the person with the most sales gets a trip to wherever. Uh-huh. Right. And it's like, okay, your incentives are telling everybody to work as individuals, even as your, even as your other words or your other claims are saying work as a team. So you often see some kind of misalignment in there. There, there could be a lot of fear in the management, but you want people to be relaxed and it becomes uh-huh. a situation where it's do as I say, not as I do, or right. do as I say, not as I incentivize. Right. And to some extent, that also creates this kind of lack of authenticity in terms of of a culture, because um, so one of the companies that I work with, you know, they wanted to create this. I thought they were trying too hard to create a certain feedback culture that wasn't really genuine. So, you know, when you sit down with your supervisor and he's trying to poke for, you know, feedback, he's actually looking for something for you to say, uh, even when you do not see it. Uh, and I feel that, you know, sometimes you have to be you have to be pushed to, to bring out a perspective. But I feel they were kind of forcing it. Have you ever come across that? All the time. You see things like that all the time, almost everywhere you go. Uh, you'll see that um, when the culture isn't aligned with the company's values or it's not authentic or you didn't hire in accordance with fit and culture and you don't evolve your hiring strategy with the culture, you'll find a lot of things that are not very authentic. Uh-huh. And you'll find people at cross-purposes. In some cases, your incentive is to do one thing, but your philosophy, so to speak, or your stated philosophy is to do something else. Uh-huh. So, so my follow-up to you would be, so do you feel that, and it's actually in twofold, so the first one is, do you feel that culture can be created intentionally or it's an effect of the way a team naturally works? And either way, how do you actually create it in an authentic way? So I think the answer is both. I mean, teams have their own personalities, their own incentives, their own backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when people come together, people come together for different, re- they work for different reasons, they come in with different needs. And that combination of the, of the personalities, the behavioral patterns, experiences, needs, incentives that bring a team together aren't necessarily going to affect the culture of the team or the company or otherwise. But at the same time, there are a lot of things that you really can do to make uh, intentional changes to the culture. But I think, you know, the most important thing when it comes to intentional changes to the culture is, to get, is that you got to walk your talk. And, you know, that's one of those mm-hmm. things that's really easy to say, hard to do. And most people miss the fact that walking your talk is expensive. And it can cost. Mean? And the idea that p- people want to be able to say that they can walk their talk and that they can do that. But when the conflict comes up, 
when you face a situation where walking your talk is going to cost you, that's when everybody finds out if you're really going to do it. Mm -hmm. And if you say, for example, that our company values inclusion and diversity, you know, that's an easy thing to say until you find yourself in a situation where being more inclusive means you might need to install a few ramps and that's going to cost you a few thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as much as legal compliance may, you know, cut in for you there um, and it may insist, so to speak, that you do this. You still, you still have to think about like how readily you do that, how easily you do that. Are you, you know, very, are you enthusiastic about the fact that you're good to do this or are you just doing it for legal compliance? Mm. And everybody's going to notice when you do something like that. And everybody knows it's not just what you do, but how you do it. So if you're engaging in this, you know, because it's like, well, that's compliance. Okay, um, we'll do it. Whereas like if you put in the money and you really do, you go the extent to be inclusive, not just to be compliant. And you say, you know, look, I think that this is going to add a lot to our company. It shows that we've really, that we've really got this spirit. And you put in the money, the time, the effort, the energy, even though it's going to cost, people really see that. But the difference is that they'll work accordingly to match it. And when the mm -hmm. company from the top puts in the extra effort to live its values, so will the employees and they'll see that. And they'll, they'll understand that that's what it takes. It's sort of like we will pursue these values. We will exhibit these values even when it costs us. Mm. And I want us to stay, stay on this for a while because I feel you're really bringing out some good points here. So on top of, you know, walking your talk, you know, making sure that you're actually doing stuff, not because it's, it's, uh, it's for legal purposes. What are other ways that, you know, business owners listening or leaders listening can actually uh, foster a very, a very collaborative or productive culture? So along those lines, I would say choose your incentives intentionally. If you want, for example, a team-based culture, then make sure that the bonuses or the rewards or the recognitions that you give are more team-based. Mm -hmm. So, you know, actually do the thing that you say that you're going to do, reward it accordingly. That's, that's probably one of the biggest ones that I've seen. And, you know, when you give people incentives, when you tell people like what their jobs are or what their reviews are or you know, what's going to lead them to getting promoted or not promoted. And that, by the way, is another big one, how you promote people and what kinds of, you know, annual reviews you do, which first of all, um, quick aside, annual reviews, bad idea. You should be doing reviews constantly. <laughs> but, uh, but along those lines, like people should always know whether they're doing a good job and that should never be a mystery. But um, make sure that make sure that you're actually giving the feedback that, goes along with what you want people to do. Be specific about what you want people to do. If you want people to be focusing, you know, if, if you want your sales team to be working on relationships and that that is the main focus of your sales team, then make sure that when you're doing, that when you're doing the annual review, the place where you put the, or whatever times you're doing the review, every review, the emphasis should not be on like how much revenue you brought in. It's the, re the first focus should be the relationships you built. You know, how many people have you engaged with that really became folks who engage with the company or with the product or with the service and so on? Because if you say, you know, our sales team is all about building connections. And when you come in, you know, for a review, the first thing you say is, you know, your revenue is a little bit down. That sends a message. Mm. 
I think it's it's really hard to, uh, and I get the part of you know trying to reward the team, uh, but it's really hard in sales because it's very possible that you know people who are not performing would just hide under team performance. Um, what has been your experience in you know trying to balance uh, individual performance with um, you know team performance whilst you know promoting a culture that is you know for the team and not for individuals? So a couple things. I mean, I'm not saying that people don't slack on the team, but I think that there's a little too much emphasis placed on that. I think that people need to spend more time thinking about how teams can enable each other, empower each other to do well. And my experience with teams, teamwork, and research on teams, which I do with uh, Jeff Vandenhout uh, over in the Netherlands. So the two of us, we found a lot that the team can actually help each other. And when people are not necessarily performing you know, up to their level, that's something that the team can often police. And that's something that the team can often deal with in and of itself if it's empowered to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's often like, you know, we need the team leader to step in and do this. Not if you have a good team, not if you build the team intentionally. And that's another thing that a lot of folks don't do. A lot of times teams are thrown together is ad hoc. Um, and that's not so helpful because you never know what you're putting on the team then. When you build the team, you should be building it very intentionally. How do you mean by intentionally? Meaning you should really think about who should be on the team, why those people should be on the team, what the team is for, and specifically the complements that, uh, that the skill sets have. So, I mean, if five people are going to be on a team, if you have five people with the exact same skill set, first of all, you don't have a team. you got five people working in parallel. So... If you want people to work together, help each other, and do these things as a team, it's got to be something that no single individual can do. And I mean, I've even worked on teams, and funnily enough, even when we were, quote unquote, compensated as individuals, uh, we still we still worked as, as a sales team. We still helped each other. If we were having difficulty with a client, we could exchange leads. We could ask for advice. Um, there was that certain collaborative feel that sales were made for the company, not for us. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had a manager who was really good at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love this because, I mean, sometimes re- regardless of how you put a team together, right, and, you know, regardless of how thoughtful, well-intentioned you are, there always tend to be this few people who are just not a fit. <laughs> and uh, not only that, they also actually dragging the whole team down with, you know, toxic uh, culture and so on. So how do, you, how, how do you wipe out a toxic culture? How do you let people, you know, who are not a good fit for the culture go so you can actually reinforce the one that you really want to? So one of the things I point out is that your first priority should be your hiring. Make sure that you're hiring well. And a lot of companies don't put significant emphasis on making sure that the right people get in the door. It's something that I work on uh, and I consult a lot on is making sure you get the right folks in. Um, once they're in, I mean, and, and inevitably people will say to me, you know, but, you know, what happens if you've got a bad apple? My first question is, how did that bad apple get in your door? Um, but once they're, once they're in your door, the first thing is not to think of them as a bad apple. And I think that once we start approaching people as bad apples or as not good performers or something along those lines, we're already, uh, we're, we're already going downhill. There's often a reason why people get in your door and get through your hiring system, assuming it's halfway decent, and still aren't performing well on the team. You have to wonder what's going on. Is there a reason? Is there something going wrong with them? Is, is, are there resources they're missing 
And in many cases, we, people don't investigate this. It's a lot more expedient in many people's minds just to fi- figure out who the bad apples are and cast them off. Mm. But the reality is that if you're finding bad apples, if you've got, you know, look at your hiring process first. If your hiring process is good, then you've got a good apple. And there may be something wrong. Now, yeah, look, sometimes it's just not a fit. What you think is a fit turned out not to be a fit. And maybe you misread a few cues, and that's, that's okay. But in that case, you've got to remember that, you know, you, you made the mistake, you as the company made the mistake of hiring this person, but you still do have a solidly talented individual. And that means there are lots of different ways that you can either ship this person's job or let the person go. But when you let them go, you know, make sure that you're not just tossing them out on the street. You know, there's, there are many different ways that you can get people out, including but not limited to, you know, sending them over to other companies where, you know, you may actually see that their skill set might be better. It's like, you know, I know this company, this sales team, and, you know, if you don't want to send to a competitor, we totally understand, but send to a different, let's say a different sales team and a different product in a different zone, you know, you know that this company could use that person's skill sets, send them off that way. It's like, this person's good salesperson doesn't quite fit our culture, check the person out. Send, you know, shop their resume around, like do them, do them that courtesy you know, because somebody mm-hmm. because somebody losing a job is never a pleasant thing. And, you know, you really do want them walking away feeling good about your company. And right. that is, you know, again, your brand, your reputation. You know, and for the record, when people get let go, there is there can also be a, an, a, an internal effect on morale. So you got to, and sometimes that effect can actually be positive if your hiring process isn't so good. That actually, that effect can be positive, but it, otherwise, if your hiring process is good, or if the, you're letting go of somebody that people respect, you got to think about what that's going to do to the rest of the team and how they're going to be wondering whether their necks are on the line, rationally or irrationally. And so, you know, letting somebody go is something you have to do carefully. Oh, this is so good, Orin. So, where can where can people learn more about your work? You know, watch your videos, connect with you, invite you to come speak to their teams, and so on. I'm sorry, ask that one again. Yeah, where can people connect with you and reach out to you? So they can go to my website, uh, www.qllabqllab.org. And uh, they can send me an email, just my first initial and last name, odavis at qllab.org. And always happy to chat with people. Awesome. Thanks so much, Aaron. Thank you, Kwesi. Thank you for listening to the Art of Appointment Setting podcast with Kwesi Sachi Dinai. Find out more about how to get high-value appointments at Catalyze.io. And while you're there, check out the free resources for appointment setting. And be listening for the next episode of the Art of Appointment Setting podcast.